Cup, where we will be spilling all sorts of tea about what's going on inside Washington, D.C., what regulators and lawmakers are thinking about and working on, and potential areas of opportunity and risk areas for your credit union. I'm your host, Ann Petros, Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at NAFQ, and today I am joined by a very special guest, NCUA Board Member Rodney Hood. Uh, Board Member Hood has been an avid supporter of innovation and fintech and right-size regulations that allow your credit union to grow. Uh, So part of that is fostering opportunities for strategic partnerships with fintechs. And today our conversation is going to center around just that. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I am delighted to be here. Wonderful. Well, let's let's dive into the questions and yes. and and start talking about fintech. Uh, now, this is a topic you've been really focused on and passionate about for quite some time. So, um, I'd, I'd love to hear about you know why this is so important to you, but also a little bit about your perspective on fintech because it's a really broad term, kind of nebulous, can can mean different things to different people. So, you know, what does fintech mean to you and, and how have you, um, you know, heard from credit unions that they're using fintechs? That's a really good question to, get to kick us off today. And I just first and foremost want to say that I've long believed that financial technology has the ability to equip credit unions with all the resources and tools they need to serve their members in today's dynamic marketplace. And a lot of the decisions that I have regarding fintech have come from my own use of fintech tools and products where I recognize that were it not for those tools, I wouldn't be able to perhaps um, use some of the online account features, some of the digital payment features, Mm -hmm. remote deposit capture. So as a forward-thinking regulator, I am now trying to look at opportunities where credit unions can have the tools to serve their members in today's dynamic marketplace. But more importantly, how do I as a forward-thinking regulator give them what they're going to need to survive in the future? I know many times when I'm in forums such as this, I like to say that the future of credit unions lies in fintech. Well, that future is already here. The present reality is that we need to embrace the tools, the software, and all the capabilities that it's going to take for them to serve today's member. We used to think, at least I used to think that pre-pandemic, we probably looked at a lot of the things regarding technology as a luxury, Mm. but it was those institutions that were quickly able to pivot to meet the needs of those consumers when a lot of the branches were closed, when a lot of the offices were closed. How did they serve those members? Well, it's those institutions that were quickly able to ramp up, serve the members, and during that time, I'm very pleased with the fact that we now have 5 million new members of credit unions that came during the onset of the pandemic. That means that they came because of the credit unions being the trusted mechanisms in a lot of those local communities, but it also means in some instances that was because those credit unions had the digital offerings that were allowed, that were able to sort of serve their needs. Mm-hmm. Well, we have attracted 5 million members. How are we going to retain them if we don't provide them with the framework that they need to embrace innovation and experimentation and to do so prudently and pragmatically. So while I embrace the technology, I'm sort of agnostic little A when it comes to telling credit unions which tools they should embrace. Mm -hmm. I, as a regulator, I'm doing my job by giving them the regulatory clarity and framework so they can just operate in the environment of serving their members with the fidelity to safety and soundness and, of course, looking at the tenets of 
fair lending, fair housing, all the other things that we care about. So I just want to make sure I'm giving them that framework. And as you know, we will get into a little bit more of this in today's conversation, but without credit unions embracing these tools, I don't even know if I will have an industry to regulate in five, 10 years from now. That's how integral I see FinTech into the future of our system. It's not a luxury, but a strategic imperative. Yeah, I think you're right about that. It, it's expected from consumers. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't want to start a relationship with a financial institution that isn't able to cater to your needs and expectations. And if you're on the move and you need access to your accounts on mm-hmm. your phone, mm-hmm. you need to have a, a capable platform that can you know, allow you to make you know, transactions and conduct your business pretty in a straightforward manner in a straightforward and seamless manner again Mm -hmm. that's what our members are demanding that's what the marketplace is demanding and again i as a forward-thinking progressive regulator i don't think i would be doing a service to this industry if i did not equip them to embrace those platforms yeah and you see fintech as a pretty broad umbrella Mm -hmm. covers a lot it covers a lot you're right so when i'm looking at it i'm looking specifically through the lens of expediting payments is it Mm. helping us use data to make more informed decisions is it allowing us to perhaps pursue individuals who have been financially underserved when i think back to some of the pre-pandemic fdic data that said that about 40 percent of american households were having difficulty obtaining 400 dollars for a family emergency in cash shocking well how can fintech help bridge that divide how also can we use technology to provide financial education Um, one of the things that i am so excited about and is working with my agency and my fellow board members to create NCUA's new Office of Innovation and Access, where we're gonna have a new FinTech director. Interviews are being conducted right as we speak for this new person. And you notice when I mentioned FinTech, I didn't say just Office of Innovation. Mm -hmm. I said Office of Innovation and Access. We are innovating, we're creating this platform, not because it's the cool thing to do, but through innovation, you should be able to spur greater access for these individuals who are woefully underserved by traditional financial services. So let's dig into that a little more. You know, how exactly can fintech help these underserved populations gain access to to financial services and and you know, help them to improve their financial well-being. Well, we're seeing that. I meet with different fintech companies almost weekly where I'm trying to get an opportunity to learn about their business model. Mm -hmm. And then what we do, we bring those fintechs back to our agency for our whole team, folks in risk and examination and insurance to not micromanage their business and, but to see how does this product and how does this product and tool work and how do we as regulators uh, make sure that our examiners and other folks who who are looking at credit unions doing their exams, that we're going to really We've heard about this fintech before, so we want to make sure that it's more of a seamless examination experience. But back to your question in terms of how does it work? We've seen some fintechs that are able to help people not only save money through their digital technology, but then a lot of that can be used as a proxy for their ability to pay a mortgage or a credit card. So that's one way through the data aggregation. We're seeing some of the fintechs that are really helping even expedite the mortgage process. And I know now in today's high interest rate environment, we're not seeing mortgage volume as robust as it perhaps once was, 
but we're finding fintechs out there that are work with individuals who perhaps have had non-traditional uh, credit scores. They're finding a way to help financial services providers, whether it be credit unions or banks, but to use some of the bill-paying habits that they've seen to serve, again, as a proxy for a credit report to help bring more of these folks into the mainstream. We've also seen uh, fintech companies being able to reach folks who perhaps have used pernicious and predatory payday loans to find opportunities to find them where they then are able to introduce them to uh, a bank or a credit union Pal that can loans. give them our power loans. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Exactly, like our payday alternative loan products. So those are some of the tools that we're seeing. Those are some of the relationships that I'm seeing. Nothing pleases me more than when I visit a credit union or when I'm giving a talk such as this and a credit union will just pick up the phone and call me and say, hey, we're doing some of those things. Would you like to come and visit our credit union? Would you like to talk to that fintech provider? So the use cases are there. The results are there. I think the results are quite demonstrable, but I want to harness that, leverage that, so all of our nearly 5,000 credit unions can know that these um, opportunities exist. That's wonderful. Yeah. And especially in the housing space, seems like a, it could be a really you know, great way to, to facilitate home ownership for um, you know, historically disadvantaged mm -hmm. uh, communities and you know, offer opportunities for access to credit for first-time home buyers. Exactly. Right? It's so critically important, especially when we talk about underserved, marginalized communities and communities of color and disabled communities, and in some instances, mm -hmm. rural communities. Home, under, home ownership is oftentimes that fundamental building pl block for asset accumulation. Mm -hmm. That means that is pretty much the focal point of a lot of the wealth that is created in those underserved communities and passed down to the next generation. So with FinTech and also a little sidebar, I serve on the board of an organization called NeighborWorks America, which is a quasi-government entity that's whole mission is around affordable housing, financial counseling and coaching. And I'm so proud to see that many of the homebuyer counselors are using FinTech tools. They're using them again around looking at data aggregation of that data, but also around the financial literacy, how many individuals can get the home buyer education certification, and then perhaps use that to go to that lender to say, hey, we've been pre-qualified. So those are some of the things that we're seeing in this digital space. And you're going to, I think, see even more of it as we find now for the millennials and the Gen Z folks to want to seek home ownership. I think mm -hmm. the time is ripe with opportunity. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, it's not just on the lending side, but we're seeing other parts of the ecosystem play a part with the mortgage origination piece. In fact, I was so delighted to recently meet with a fintech that's doing mortgage appraisals, where they're able to use a modicum of machine learning, artificial intelligence, and real tax revenue data to help them originate and provide the appraisals in about 48 to 72 hours. Wow. And there are many instances we're able to do that uh, without even having to step foot in the property because some of the data is there. So that is one thing. And by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, we're looking at the appraisal of about $150. So mm. that is a cost savings that really does play a major piece. And one of the things that when I learned about the tool, recognizing that we want to help communities of color and marginalized communities, I asked, is your tool making sure that it's using AI machine learning 
ethically and responsibly mm -hmm. so that it's not having a deleterious impact on the very communities we want to help. And their whole modeling has taken that into account and they have assured us that as this product is hitting the market, they're looking at some of the sensitivities that we've seen related to appraisal bias and things of that nature. So again, the tools are existing for almost anything that we want in today's environment. But again, for the time being, I'm going to focus primarily on things that serve financial services providers and the credit unions and their nearly 133 million members. Sure. Wow. Uh that's really interesting, you know, the the appraisal uh, tool, especially because, you know, of course, there are always inherent biases in, in algorithms, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, the CFPB, for example, has expressed some concern about, you know, fair lending mm -hmm. implications with, you know, the use of, of AI and machine learning. Um, but there's a lot of promise there, and especially with respect to appraisals, because you know, like you, you said, you know, the, the appraisal bias is a real issue. And so to the extent that we can, you know, wrap in more technology to, to help uh, reduce or completely eliminate that appraisal bias, I mean, so many communities would be better off. I vote for the full Elimination of it, <laughs> absolutely, and and again, it might take a little bit of time. It might take a little bit <laughs> of time, problem, but point. again, but it's what goes into the the model. In fact, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I remember in my early days in finance, and we would look at. Um, mortgage applicants, we'd look at business applicants, and we would find, why would there be such a disparity mm -hmm. in credit scores for people with identical jobs, identical education, and they were all paying their bills relatively on time? Well, you know what was causing the disparity? Mm -hmm. That minority community only had the proliferation of pawn shops and payday lenders in their community where they were able to go there and get loans and they did not realize that had right. they gone to a more main street institution that that would have reduced uh, their interest rate or even the stigma so a lot of the scoring models of yesteryear assume that why would you go to a pawn shop payday lender when you should have gone to Main Street Finance. Because it's convenient and it you was don't convenient. know any better. And they did not know any better. Yeah. They were going to that neighborhood right. where they thought that they could go and they thought mm -hmm. if I paid my bills on time, I too will have a 740 or higher credit score. Right. So I learned from research that the decision engine was sort of giving the folks who didn't go to Main Street a bad mark because of that. Right. So it made that assumption. So again, the more we can take out the erroneous assumptions, the better. And I think as I meet with fintechs, I have to tell you, while I meet with them and I'm excited, I also tell them that credit unions, if you're going to partner with them, do recognize these are not banks that operate under a different name. Credit unions are people owned and operated cooperatives democratically de-controlled um, around serving their members and how that ethos has been for nearly a century now of people helping people. So I, I want them to know that if you're going to work with these individuals and these institutions, do know it is about the relationship and member service. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, a, a lot. Uh, so many, you know, opportunities in, in going to a, a credit union or just, I mean, any sort of regulated that's institution, right? That's insured by the federal insured. government. <laughs> um, yeah, because, but, but how would you know that as a consumer that, you know, has limited um, access and integration to the financial mm -hmm. services industry and, you know, a 
very slim or uh, you know, really non-existent credit profile. You know, it's it's the difficult to discern, yeah. right? You're, they're terribly difficult to discern, and that's why I am such an advocate around financial education in the schools beginning mm -hmm. as early as first grade. Absolutely. There are some states that are putting this into their, I guess their, I wouldn't say regulations, but they're at least are being a champion around having as a part of the curricula where mm -hmm. to graduate, you must have gotten mm -hmm. through some financial literacy and education. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that our credit unions, because of the work that they're doing through their philanthropic arms, they're doing outreach. They're doing so advocacy. Many I love the yeah. fact that I just visited a credit union in Delaware where they have a, ban, a, 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 a van that's marked with the Bernstein Bears, if you remember the Bears. I do. And they are going to the <laughs> elementary school the grade schools where they're teaching financial literacy, they're playing games, mm -hmm. and they're giving these youngsters uh, coloring books and things to take home and share with their family members to get them all excited about financial education. I think the credit unions are certainly doing a, a great job at that, and I think more should be done around these credit unions that have high school and elementary school components. I've visited some of the high schools that are owned and operated by some of the credit unions. What a wonderful way to help a lot of these communities that never would have thought about financial literacy, at least mm -hmm. as it's, it's a fun activity, than to have the games associated with it and things of that nature. Um, so I'm hoping that there will be more states that will make it uh, a requirement and normally as you know I'm a my regulatory philosophy is regulation needs to be effective but not excessive but yet now I am asking for there to be <laughs> a requirement around financial literacy and I think that people who know my regulatory philosophy mm -hmm. know that there is a, a difference there and this is one of those things that if we're going to see more and more people coming into the mainstream we need to make sure they're doing it pragmatically and methodically and who better than our credit unions than to give them that uh, those resources through education there's absolutely a difference and and the the benefits you know from this uh sort of initiative could could be so you know wide-ranging and and have such a huge impact for generations to come oh so. without a doubt it's transformative right yeah so uh, you mentioned the the office of innovation and access <laughs> uh -huh. um but you know what else is is the ncua focused on in terms of fintech well right now this office of innovation and access mm -hmm. because what that's going to do it is going to one give us our first time ever full-time director of technology who's going to be internal and external facing it's going to be that person as i mentioned that i've been meeting with the fintechs and getting a chance to learn about their their companies and how do they engage with credit unions we're now going to have a person who is going to be doing that in addition to helping us do things such as regulatory sandboxes how do we work Great. with that fintech provider who has a product who perhaps hasn't gone to market yet because they want to work out some of the regulatory impediments or the regulatory entanglements. But why don't we bring them in to learn what some of those issues are such that when they do go to market, we're going to already have it through the lens of fair lending, fair housing, safety and soundness, and things of that nature. So that person is going to do that. We also want this person to help me um, look at opportunities around perhaps if there needs to be rulemaking and things like that, mm -hmm. they would be able to take the temperature and gaze uh, gauge the industry around what are some of their needs uh, in the credit union system around working with credit unions, partnering with credit unions. So it's going to be external. It's also going to be advising us on what things do we at NCUA need to do around embracing technology. So I'm not one that 
really wants to preach credit unions, go out and use FinTech if we're not doing it internally. So we at NCUA need to embrace what I would call reg tech or supervisory tech or soup tech. Are we doing some of those things? Are we automating a lot of our processes? We've done some of that now, as you know, through our new merit examination tool. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to do more around looking at the call report and how do we use those same tools? So this person will be advising us on that. Uh, this person will also help me with one of my dreams, and that is to do more tech sprints, or I guess the everyday parlance would be more like a Shark Tank-like event, and we want to do some of that. In fact, there will be one coming up uh, in November of this year, November 7th and 8th. I'm very proud to know that there are some credit unions that are going to be working with um, some of the fintechs to do a, a Shark Tank-like event, and this first one is going to be devoted to financial inclusion. And then I'd wow. like to see one maybe next year that's going to be focused on payments. And then I'd like to see one after that focused on digital identity. I mentioned the uptick in the 5 million new members that join credit unions. Let's see. Let's see. Are we using technology and fintech to really help with digital identity authentication? So, again, those are some of the thematic things that I'd like to see uh, that are spawned out of this Office of Innovation and Access. Mm -hmm. And I guess the main thing as well is if we're going to reach the access piece, are we looking at alternatives for, for payday lending? It's, again, our payday alternative loan product. Are we also finding opportunities around helping the business consumer? Are we using all the tools that we can through technology, again, to spur greater and broader inclusion in the financial mainstream? Because if we don't, there are so many bad actors out there who are waiting to pounce upon these underserved communities. So, you know, some of, some of your comments just now raise a couple of additional questions. And so I've got a two-part question here. <laughs> um, you know, what are some of the you know, regulatory hurdles mm -hmm. you mentioned that, mm -hmm. you know, fintechs might encounter? Um, but, you know, on the flip side, kind of the, the due diligence requirements for, mm -hmm. for credit unions that are seeking to work with these, <laughs> these fintechs, um, you know, what have you seen in, in that respect? And thinking about the supervisory side of things, you know, how do examiners go ab about evaluating these partnerships currently? And with, you know, the new director of this <laughs> office, you know, will they be able to sort of serve as a subject matter expert to kind of enhance the understanding of the examiners and, you know, E&I and, and, and one's teams to, to really dig deep on, on some of these, these partnerships well, and be helpful. Asked, you've asked a question that I can go in so many directions on first and foremost, yes, I certainly want this new director to be that bridge to E&I and the folks and ones, and th actually throughout the agency, mm -hmm. this group or this individual, as he or she builds out a team, they're not going to sit siloed. They are meant to be a part of our agency. They're meant to be that resource for the credit union system. So yes, we certainly want this director of technology to be able to help again with the sandboxing and some of the other things I want to prescribe for them to do. They're going to be doing that and also the training sessions, as I mentioned, we bring in every week, we bring in one of the fintechs, and I'm not doing that for show and tell, but it's more for our folks to understand what these institutions are doing. Mm -hmm. We ask them about whether or not they're CUSO, what are they doing if they have already been examined by CFPB. Mm -hmm. We want to walk them through not the business model, but more in terms of the touch points that it relates to our member owner of the credit union, how the credit union is engaging them and things of that nature. So that is done. And I expect there to be more of that because I want there to be a seamless experience. I think one of the questions you're asking about what some of the questions are, 
many of the right. credit unions still want to know, do they have our imprimatur at NCUA to embrace FinTech technology? Do they have our imprimatur to embrace blockchain, distributed ledger technology, and even engaging in digital assets? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. They have our imprimatur. We've not had to give a rulemaking because our statutes, our legislation and regulations they currently now allow them to engage in those activities, but as they would with any activity, do it prudently and pragmatically. Are you going through the appropriate due diligence? We as right. an agency, we were one of, the, one of the few agencies that really did tell our regulated entities that you were, in, you were more than welcome when it came to digital assets and blockchain. We gave them supervisory guidance telling them, look at it as they, as they would with any third party. So we're looking at, are you doing the appropriate vetting, the vendor due diligence? Are you looking at a lot of the other things that you would do if you were really embarking upon any other relationship? And I know our peer regulators have taken a different stance where they're saying, well, we're not going to tell you you can do it. You need to ask us, let, for, permission. Ask us for permission <laughs> right. and we won't, and we will give you a letter saying we're not denying it. Mm -hmm. But that type of regulatory uncertainty and regulatory um, vacuum is what we're trying to prevent at the agency. So I think many of our regulated entities will say that we've been very forthright, been very forward, and I'm very proud that all three board members are so in unison and wanting to embrace the technology. I mean, I really had really great joy when I was able to get all of their support in creating the new office and moving forward with some of the other ideas with the, the new FinTech director position. So I think the one thing that I hope comes loudly and clearly from our conversation today is that we do not want to stand in your way, provided you're going through the appropriate uh, due diligence, as you would with any third-party vendor, as you would engage with any partnership. I think you need to measure the complexity, measure the risk, as you would with any mm -hmm. activity. And I would just say I personally recognize that as I – embrace technology as I embrace credit unions using the innovation. I want them to be mindful of cybersecurity, data protection, and data privacy. So still make sure that you're mitigating risk as it relates to cyber. Make sure you're battening down your hatches as you pursue these technologies because yes, they are important to have, but they could really harm our system if we did not go into these relationships knowing about cyber risk. And we just had a big uh, briefing at last week's board meeting about cyber and the wonderful things that credit unions can do to have a safe and sound environment and about practicing good hygiene and all that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about risk mitigation and risk management. I don't want to let my mentioning of looking at cybersecurity and data privacy mean that we want to cast or be the, dim, uh, the grim reaper. That's not <laughs> it at all. It is just being mindful of anything you're doing. Um, issue with anything. I'd like to think that all the things that credit unions embark upon, and you see broadly what credit unions are doing, I think they go through everything through the lens of risk that's commensurate with the size and complexity of their credit union. Let's continue to do that. Very and much. We don't so. want to get in your way. Right. That's always what I hear from from institutions, and you know we talk to a, a lot of, of members on you know all ends of the spectrum, mm -hmm. smaller institutions and some of the largest institutions you know in the industry, and and all have that sort of risk averse approach, mm -hmm. and and they and it's about risk management and risk exactly. mitigation, exactly, and 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 they evaluate every partnership very critically. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, like you said, it's really no different than any other third party relationship, and it's no different than anything they've done since their inception. And 
and we just want to continue to give them the regulatory clarity and framework by which they can succeed. I also just want them to know that I recognize that our smaller credit unions in particular, I look at the fintechs as providing them with the lifeline that they need to really stay tethered to a lot of their member owners. And I'm not saying that our larger credit unions don't, but a larger degree of our credit unions, they maybe can invest directly in some bespoke technologies. But those smaller institutions, that's another reason why I embrace the fintech. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the fact that you could have a multi-billion dollar credit union, multi-billion dollar credit union using the same fintech provider that that $500,000 credit that's sitting in the basement of a church is using. I think that's the beauty of having the plethora of options that fintechs bring. But I need to recognize that we have close to about 5,000 credit unions, but by themselves, I don't know if they can compete and remain viable against some of the other Wall Street providers because they can go out and buy these digitally native right. platforms. So fintechs bridge the gap. Fintechs, through whether it be a CUSO or some of the other third-party uh, partnerships that are being created, again, it gives our regulated entities a fighting chance for competing in today's 21st century landscape. For without it, I don't know if I have an industry to regulate in the days ahead. Yeah, that's fair. It could be really critical for some of these smaller it's institutions. Survival. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, you know, in terms of regulatory certainty, you have previously participated in conversations with NAFQ and with other groups about um, credit unions' ability to invest in fintech companies, you know, outside of the current mm -hmm. um, permissible investments through QSOs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you think that this is an important investment authority and, you know, something that the agency should evaluate further? Is this something that, that you would support? Well, I certainly would support it. Again, I'm supporting things that are going to really help our industry remain vibrant, relevant in today's landscape. More importantly, um, some of the fintechs that I've mentioned that we've been meeting with, we are very fortunate that they have gone through the QSO process, they've gone through the registry, and that works brilliantly. Mm -hmm. But you all, some of the other fintechs are not waiting uh, for NCUA to give them the guidance and exactly. our imprimatur so whether they can be a, become a QSO. A lot of these fintechs are operating at the speed of business, which means that they're not waiting for a government entity to catch up. And we would be doing ourselves a disservice, we would be doing our regulated entities a disservice if we did not provide a platform for some modicum of de minimis investments and some of the fintechs themselves. And again, I'm talking about de minimis investment opportunities that will not prove injurious to our insurance share fund or to the credit union system. So as we allow credit unions to do some of these types of things today, I think it would be make more sense to have the regulatory clarity. So yes, I certainly would welcome the opportunity to work with my fellow board members and our agency leaders around a fintech rule that will, again, really provide that flexibility and empowerment for the institutions to, to invest directly. Because again, the fintechs are not waiting for Washington to keep up at the pace in which they're operating. That's right. And it really would be a, a de minimis investment, de minimis like amount. single digit percentage of net paid capital. Or less capital. than right. 0.0. So, I don't, yeah. Yeah. So, so not enough where I, again, as a safety and soundness regulator, I would never advance any type of rulemaking that I think that would injure, injure the share insurance fund or our credit union system. So again, it's as a safety and soundness regulator recognizing that 
you can have a fintech rule and it still coexists with the tenets of safety mm-hmm. and soundness. And there is a fintech rule on the rulemaking agenda. So we're we're going to yes. stay tuned and, stay and see tuned. What, what comes It is of on that. that recent agenda that you just saw. And I look forward to working in partnership, uh, again, with my board members, with our agency leadership. Again, this is another one of those opportunities, and where our fintech director would also be a voice in that. Sure. In fact, what I would even envision this person doing is doing a series of town halls where I've already given some ideas that I'd like for this person to go around the country, maybe uh, to go to some of your upcoming convenings or any of the other credit union roundtables where they have an opportunity to hear directly from my institution. So again, I want them to be informed, but I don't want us to make decisions without hearing from the industry. That sort of, you know, opportunity for transparent and candid discussion is is really fantastic. And I think every, you know, credit union would would appreciate that sort of opportunity. It's about transparency. As you heard from our budget briefing last week, we want to be transparent. We want to make sure that we hear from you all and that you all opine. And this should be no different. Mm -hmm. Now, one last question. Earlier, you mentioned, you know, payment platforms, mm-hmm. and you really see this as, um, you know, one of the the areas where fintech can be most mm-hmm. useful. Now, you know, NAFQ has taken the position that some fintech companies, especially sort of peer-to-peer payment mm-hmm. providers, you really should be subject to more stringent oversight, you know, mm-hmm. supervisory framework um, beyond what, you know, they're, they're currently um, under and, you know, at the federal level, of mm-hmm. course, because they're not, you know, subject to a, a prudential, you know, safety mm-hmm. and soundness regulator. And we think that I can pose some, some risks to consumers and, um, you know, place an undue burden on financial institutions like credit unions to have to resolve, you know, errors and complaints from consumers. So, you know, do you agree that there should be some sort of enhanced supervision of these sorts of fintech companies um, while obviously trying to, to balance the the goal of fostering and facilitating partnerships? Well, that's a really good question and one that's very timely. Yes, I certainly would support some regulation as it relates to some of the payment systems just because of some of the things we're hearing and reading about, some of the fact that credit union members have been placed in an awful position when it comes to the data and some of the other fines and other fees that they've had through no fault of their own, and the credit unions are having to to really bear a lot of that responsibility Mm -hmm. as well. So I would certainly like to think that we should have a level playing field. Um, The payment system folks, I think, have been able to operate pretty much not tethered to any type of regulation or guidance or clarity. And we're seeing that play out today right before our very eyes. So I, one, would support that because, again, consumer safety, consumer protection, uh, I think we definitely need something. And that's something that I think is far bigger than NCUA. I think that's something that we need to perhaps have a a number of our regulators looking at it. I know the CFPB is looking at Reg E. While I applaud some of that, I do think that we need to perhaps have more of a dialogue around what happens with our smaller institutions and what happens with them having to bear some of the financial burden. And I don't want to get ahead of my skis and mention another regulatory body, but as you know, we all uh, have relationships where we get to meet, we get to meet with our other regulatory right. peers. So shy of that, yes, there needs to be some 
bit of oversight because right now I would say it has been a bit of the wild, wild west when it comes to payments. And another piece is in terms of some of the other transactions, I would go into the BSA and AML implications. That's another area where our cash transaction reports, currency transaction reports, suspicious activity reports, those aren't being completed with a lot of the other types of payment things that we're seeing. So I think, again, around Natural Patriot Act and keeping our homeland, homeland safe, those are all some of the things that I could see uh, the Washington regulatory regime coming together to address. But I'd like to see those be addressed without any mission creep or spillage into any of the other areas that we've been talking about. Because some of the other platforms that we've been discussing, they are subject to regulatory scrutiny. They are subject to consumer protection and fair lending and fair housing and a lot of the things that we all care about in this town. So I'd like to think that there could be a way to address some of the payments issues without it having a negative effect on some of the other things that are being managed, I think, through proper and appropriate regulation. Probably is also a role, and I guess it would be nice if Congress could just <laughs> come in and, and make some of these changes without, you know, having to leave it, I guess, to the regulators to, to sort out, which can be a more complicated process. But, um, you know, for example, Congress uh, may want to revisit the Electronic Fund Transfer Act, which really did not account for the sort of, you know, P2P payment, payment providers that we have nowadays. And it so did not. So that's a room for them to work to with. And, and, but again, with dialogue, and I know we all believe in having those relationships where we can talk to members of Congress and I don't get to lobby or advocate, but I think those who do should do that. We though look forward to making sure there's not, not unintended consequences of whatever comes out of any of the proposed rulemakings, but you're right. It would make it easier uh, if that were to happen, but I'd like to think that as that does happen, that those decisions are being influenced by hearing from our industry. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today. Any any uh, final remarks on, on fintech? Anything that you'd like to stress for our viewers and listeners? Yes, I'd just like to emphasize that I remain steadfast in my support of financial technology and what it has the ability to do in helping credit unions continue to serve their mission of people helping people. I want credit unions to recognize that we do not wish to stand in your way when it comes to embracing innovation and experimentation, provided you're going through the appropriate due diligence, you're looking at it prudently and pragmatically, as you would with any new relationship. At the end of the day, I just hope that you all have an opportunity to meet our new fintech director once that person is hired, because I think you're going to find it's someone that's going to be really able to help credit unions adapt in today's 21st century landscape and not just for today's members but for the members of tomorrow fantastic we are really looking forward to meeting that new director as am i (laughs) (laughs) um and and having a a, you know an open and consistent dialogue because (laughs) um this certainly is is a topic that is um you know top of mind and and not going anywhere it's certainly not going anywhere and just to close I just want to thank you all at NAFQ for the role that you play in looking at a lot of these issues around innovation and fintech. I know you uh, have been working very diligently in this space, and I just want to thank you all for your leadership, and most importantly, thank you for giving me a, a forum today to just highlight and amplify where I stand on the whole issue of innovation in today's credit union environment. 
Our pleasure. We're, we are honored to, to have you on this episode of The Cup. And thank you all for tuning in to today's episode and this exciting conversation on fintech. Uh, if you enjoy watching or listening to The Cup, please subscribe or turn on your notifications so that you can hear about new episodes. Uh, please like our uh, podcast and also uh, leave us a review and let us know about any further you know, topics you'd like to, to hear about in future episodes. That does it for today. And until next time.